Well, good morning, friends. If this is your first time back in a few weeks, we are continuing a series here at Christ Church of Oak Brook called Deliver Us From Evil, where over the last few weeks, we have taken a look at the web of lies that is tangled up in the systems and powers of evil in this world. And we've discovered over the last few sermons that evil, or the evil one, tells us that we are better off without God. Another one of the lies that we've taken a look at is is that the evil one tells us that, well, the one responsible for evil, after all, is God, that, that we can put the blame on God. And then we've also discovered together that the systems and the powers of evil tell us that evil doesn't really exist, that it's just a facade. And then finally, last week, Dan took us through the temptations of Jesus where we discovered together that power, fame, and wealth are not, in fact, the road to happiness. And so over the last few weeks, this has not necessarily been a feel-good sermon series where we walk out of here saying, yes, the world is evil, this is awesome. It's not like a puppies and flowers kind of sermon, is it? But instead, we've discovered together that because of the brokenness and, and the sin and, and because of the fall that happened in the Garden of Eden, the world is full of pain. The world is full of darkness. The world is full of murder and terrorism and rape and fraud and, and corrupt politicians and the list could go on. And, and you know, I have a hunch this morning. My hunch is that many of us, especially if we've been here over the last few weeks, we've walked away from this sermon series thinking we're safe, thinking we're good. We walk out and we say, boy, this world sure is evil, but I'm okay. And maybe we, we email a sermon link to Uncle Bob, who really needs to hear it, or, or we're sitting in our seats and we're like, man, I really wish my brother were here to hear this sermon. And then we walk out of the church doors on Sunday mornings and we get in our cars and we start it up and we say, thank you, God, that I wasn't one of those people talked about in church today. Or is that maybe the lie that evil wants us to believe? Where we have our checklist, uh, I'm not a murderer, I'm not a racist, I'm not a felon, I'm not a rapist, I'm not a fraud, I'm not a crime lord, I'm not a terrorist, or I'm not a, you fill in the blank. Maybe, probably, most of us in this room can check off that list. So then the point of this series then is our hope is that you'll all go home and you'll feel better about your lives because you didn't end up on that list. Or is that the lie that evil wants us to believe? Is it possible that even as Christians, even as people who love Jesus at times, look at his distorted image and reality of our own lives. Is it possible that at times, and even in series like this, we look at his distorted image of ourselves? Allow me to explain. Several years ago on my birthday, my mom gave me 
a couple of gift cards to one of my favorite clothing stores, The Gap. And I instantly went to the store the next day after receiving the gift cards and went and started to pile up the clothes and went into the changing room and began to try on my clothes and put my first outfit on and I looked in the mirror and I thought, I look good. <laughs> did a little twirl, did the poses, checking myself out in the mirror. Then I try on the next outfit and I, I look at myself in the mirror and I think, I really look good. And next outfit after next outfit after, and I end up just piling up a clothes and I go and I purchase all my clothes and I go home and I think, I can't wait to show my husband Jeff my new outfits. And so Jeff comes home from work and I say, babe, I kind of went on a shopping spree, but it's okay. It was gift cards. I want to show you my new outfit. So, so we go upstairs and I come out of the closet with my first outfit and I say, what do you think? He says, ah, it's fine. <laughs> fine. I turn around and I go and look in the mirror, remembering how great I looked at the gap. And I look in the mirror and I'm like, that doesn't look like it did in the store. Surely I did not gain 10 pounds from the gap to home. What's going on here? So I go and I try in the next outfit and I come and I'm like, what do you think? Again, and I look in the mirror and it just wasn't looking the same. And I, I couldn't figure it out. Well, a few weeks later, I'm drinking my morning coffee, watching the Today Show. Part of my routine as I get ready in the morning is I watch the Today Show. And the Today Show shares this little trick about department stores. Did you know that department stores put the most amount of investment and money into their dressing rooms? That they get their mirrors curved just right and their lighting just right where it makes you maybe look 10 pounds skinnier or maybe it looks your complexion, makes your complexion look just right. So when you look in the mirror, it's not a, maybe an accurate image but it makes you look a little bit better. And you know, I wonder if sometimes we as Christians even are looking at an image of ourselves that might not be totally accurate. I wonder if we're seeing ourselves in an image that is a bit more elevated. And I wonder if evil is like the department store mirror. It props us up, it elevates us above the rest of the world and Sunday after Sunday we hear the sermons and we walk out and we say, thank you God that I'm not like all of those evildoers that we hear about week after week. And we turn on the news and we watch the stories of the terrorists and, and the corrupt politicians and, and the murderers and, and the felons and we could go on and we say, man, I'm a good Christian. Thank you, God, that I'm not like them. And we draw the line in the sand and it becomes us and them. You know, Jesus had something to say about this in a parable in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18 beginning at verse nine. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. 
but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven and beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's a tale of two individuals before God. The first one boldly approaches the house of worship in the temple, and, and he gets really close to the altar of worship, and, and he approaches, and he says, thank you, God. As I look at my life, I'm quite proud. I, I give a tenth of all I get. I, I do everything that I'm supposed to. I, I check off all the right boxes, and I check off all the wrong boxes as well, and, and I avoid everything I'm not supposed to do. And, and Lord, I thank you that I'm not like those evildoers and, and those felons, and I thank you, Lord God, that I am not like those people. I wonder, are we sometimes the Pharisees? week after week, hearing the sermon. And instead of opening ourselves up before a holy God for a moment of introspection, instead we think of everyone else that needs to hear that sermon. And instead we think of everyone else except for our own lives. And Sunday after Sunday, we pat ourselves on the back as we span the rest of the world. And we say, thank you, God, that I am not like those But what if, what if the question shouldn't be, do I participate in evil, yes or no? But what if the question instead is, what level of evil have I grown comfortable with? Or what level of acceptable evils have I embraced in my life? More than likely, you've heard the analogy that if you put a frog in a pot of water and, and slowly turn the heat up to boiling, the frog will grow comfortable and, and adjust to the water as the water begins to heat up. And, and once it's at a boil, the, the frog will adjust without even knowing that it is slowly boiling to death. Similarly, the toxic temperature of evil in our world is rising. And are we slowly adjusting? Are we slowly embracing a level of acceptable evils as evil and toxins begin to envelop our hearts and darkness begins to take over and we don't even know it? Could we, the church, at times, have become so desensitized be between the differences of good and evil? Because, you know, all it takes is a little bit of justification, a little bit of apathy, and a little bit of turning of the head. And in fact, I'd like to take a look at two different lies that we often have bought into when it comes to embracing the evils in our world. Number one, what I'm doing isn't that bad. You see, in our world, we have different levels of evil that we've kind of categorized. Number one, we have evils that we despise. That's easy. We can place ISIS in, in war and in, in famine and trauma and 
murder, and we can place all these terrible things, whatever you want to call it, we can place those in that bucket and we say, those are evils that I despise and I will never take part in. And then we have evils that we tolerate. The evils that we tolerate are things like workplace conversations when an employee approaches you and begins to defame the name of another person and gossip about them and tell unfair stories about them. And instead of intercepting and stopping the conversation, you allow it to go on. <coughs> you allow it to continue and you tolerate it. The third evil is the acceptable evils. Those are the times, the kinds that we not only tolerate, <coughs> but we engage in and we partake in it. It's the little white lie. It's the little glance at a lustful glance at another person that we should not be lustfully gazing at. It's the selfish coercion to get our way or manipulation. It's, we could go on the acceptable evils that we embrace in this world. For example, it's generally an unacceptable evil or an evil that we despise to murder someone. That's easy. We can put that in the evils that we despise. However, it's generally unacceptable, or it's generally acceptable to have feelings of hatred or anger towards someone in our own heart and our minds. Someone wrong us, we justify it, and we embrace it as okay to allow those thoughts and, and those feelings of anger to simmer up in us and think harmful things about them, but did you know that the Apostle John had something to say about that in his letter to the early church? Listen to this in 1 John chapter 3. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that you have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Tough words. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer? But isn't that one of those acceptable evils that we have embraced in this world to have feelings of hate and, and revenge and despising someone? Several years ago, when Jeff and I purchased our first home, I was six months pregnant, and, and we were just barely scraping by to get enough for our down payment. And so we had to save every penny we had for moving. So, so we did all the moving ourselves, and we rented the biggest Penske truck that we could get to move into our new house. And, and it worked out in such a way that I got to be the one to drive the Penske truck. And I was driving down I-55, six months pregnant, and I turn and I look over, and I see that I am eye level with the semis. And I am feeling mighty powerful as I am just making my way down I-55 at rapid speeds. And, and we unload the truck. We move into our new house. And, and before we return this giant Penske truck, we have to fill it up with gas. And so we go to the gas station. We fill it up with gas. And it was an incredibly busy gas station that day. 
and cars are zipping around me, and I, all I wanted to do was pull out, but no one would let me pull out. Cars kept pulling in front of me and, and beside me and behind me, and I was a little nervous driving this giant vehicle, and what seemed like a century of waiting for people to get out of my way was probably only a couple minutes, and I sat there, and my blood began to boil, and I thought, do they not know that there is a six-month pregnant woman in here that could just run every single person over in this place with this giant Penske truck? <laughs> and my impatience begins to grow, and eventually I just lay my hand on the horn and I just hold it down. And I see my patient, gentle husband get out of his tiny Ford Focus and walk over and climb up into the Penske truck and put his hand on my knee, which he does usually in a moment to say, it's going to be fine. He says, what is going on? That's all he had to say to give me a check in my spirit, to know that my emotions and anger was getting out of control. Acceptable evils. It's a lie that evil wants us to believe that it's acceptable, it's okay, which leads us to the next one. It's only just this one time. It's only just this one time that I can have these feelings of rage towards this person. It can't be that harmful if I just give a lustful glance at one person just one time, but all it takes is for the just one time for the leak to begin. All it takes is just one little white lie that leads us into a web of lies that we just can't escape. All it takes is one lustful glance at an image that we know we shouldn't be looking at before addiction begins to take over. You see, all it takes is just one time with an apathetic heart, a little bit of justification, and a turning of the eye to say it's fine. Looking at Luke 18 again, we see the second man approach God in prayer. And instead of scanning the world saying, thank you God that I am not like the rest of them, instead he sees his image before a holy and majestic and amazing God and he can't even bring his eyes up to heaven and he says, Lord, have mercy on me sinner. And this is the posture when you and I stand before a holy and loving God that we are to have, especially during this Lenten season, a time of introspection. Instead of saying, thank you, God, that I'm not like them, we, we look at the acceptable evils that we have embraced in our lives and we own it and we say, forgive me, God. I'm broken, and I cry out for mercy. Hear the words, the good news words from 1 John. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out of the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us all from sin. And hear this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, however, if we confess our sins, he, will, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us from our unrighteousness and he will purify us. So the call this morning then is not to be like the Pharisee, but rather like the tax collector to come and confess 
Because it is in confession then that walking in the light can begin. It is in confession and it is in owning our sins and crying out to the grace of God that the life of transformation, that the life of walking in the light and that the light of holiness can begin in our own lives. Because you see, as Christians, the call is not to declare our great abilities before the world. Rather, the call for us is to declare, to declare our inability to declare our weakness, to declare our shortfall, to declare our sin, our own brokenness and our darkness before a holy and loving God. And to declare our inability then is to declare God's ability. To declare our inability and our shortcoming is to declare God's ability to shape, purify, and cleanse us. Not too long ago, I was driving in the car with both of my boys, Caleb and Noah, five and four years old. And as we're driving, out of nowhere, my oldest son, Caleb, said, Mommy, are you rich? Thinking maybe he was going to convince me to buy him a bunch of Legos, I say, what do you mean, sweetheart? He says, are you rich? Do you have a lot of money? And I, thinking that's a strange question, I said, well, sweetheart, your mommy and daddy, we do good. Yes, we're, we're good. Why do you ask that? He said, because the song says, Jesus paid it all. Indeed. Jesus did pay it all. Not so we can go on living a life of acceptable evils in this world and embracing the daily toxins in our life but so that you and I can live a life of freedom and holiness because it is in God's ability that you and I can begin to live in the light of holiness and life. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow.